podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Monday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am your host, Craig Fowler, and I am joined this evening over Riverside by Craig Anderson. Hello. And Tom Watt. Hello. And we are going to be looking back at the six Premiership games which took place this past weekend, and there is only one place we can start, and that is Ibrox. Michael Beale's last stand, which makes it so much more grandiose than it actually was, as he went out with a whimper, losing 3-1 to Aberdeen, the first time that Rangers have conceded three goals to the Dons in a single game at Ibrox, I believe, since the mid-90s. And we could easily talk about Beale and Rangers and how absolutely crap they are, but let's give a nod to the victors first of all. Let's go to Tom, you're an Aberdeen fan. I'm assuming you've watched this game in some form, whether watching it live, whether you were there, or whether you watched it since on Scout or whatever. Just tell us about it. Tell us about the Aberdeen performance. I've I've watched it a few times, and uh, from a number of different <laughs> how many, angles. How many times have your trousers around uh, your ankles? <laughs> I've watched it a number of times. I've watched it from um, through official means. I've watched it from people that have recorded it in the stands. Personal favourite at the moment is the uh, recordings of the sound of full time, and the it's almost like a it's like a waterfall of booze which was pretty impressive considering the stand was half empty by the end of the game weirdly i i was really confident about this i i saw the way that rangers played against motherwell last week I saw the way the fans got on their back because of the way that they had played and it was a no-brainer to set up in the same way as Barry Robson set up for uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, and it's exactly what he did. Uh, the kind of five-four-one, but with Jamie McGrath and and Dante Polvara effectively being the most without possession, being the the furthest forward players, and Bojanovski dropping a lot a lot deep, deeper. The caveat to all of it was Rangers were all right ish for the first 25 minutes and definitely the plan was invite them on sit deep hit them on the break and they did have two three really really good chances to to open the scoring but they just looked so bereft of confidence and you could see as sort of after about 25 minutes half an hour the confident Aberdeen confidence growing and the from the point that um, Aberdeen scored just before before half time and came out the start of the second half absolutely like like a steam engine um, and they just absolutely flattened uh, absolutely flattened Rangers an awful lot of the criticism for the performance has been at the Rangers front line but their defence was absolutely hopeless with the ex- with the one exception of of James Tavernier who was the only player when think that was really able to make things happen. Seema had a, a had a decent enough game and was a, a threat, but the only player in their team that looked like anything was actually going to come off for w- w- was James Tavernier. But the the setup was good. 
the defense is starting the Aberdeen defense is starting to look settled that back three is looking like they understand each other Gartman looks like a real find both him and, and Jensen are, are good on the ball and Graham Shinney in particular was absolutely unbelievably good in the middle of the park yeah he was like um, a ball bang that wasn't he just I have to, I have to say, I was everywhere. listening to the, po- the podcast where you were kind of trying to fill every club with like one player from their team, and I thought Shinny was a, an absolute shoe in for Aberdeen, and then and then I was surprised not to hear him at all because I think he's a, a very complete player, and for a performance like this, he's, 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 he's not tall enough to be a goalie, Craig. That was the problem. <laughs> yeah, none of them are going to be good in goals anyway. So you've just got to cut your losses sometimes. Just stop them shooting. Stop them shooting. I, I, and I think it was. It was exactly what you need in this kind of game, but and helped incredibly by how passive the the, the Rangers midfield were. But Shinny was phenomenally good. Clarkson was good when he uh, when he he had the ball. But you know, word of praise in particular for Dante Povara and uh, Mackenzie, who at the start of the season were two of the players that we weren't sure there was necessarily going to be a, a a place for a lot of people were surprised that they were still in the that, that they had the amount of minutes that they had Povara was full of running and didn't give an inch and in this sort of system which I suspect will be the European system and against you know that you could almost call it the away day at Ibrox Parkhead uh, uh, formation it, it worked phenomenally well the Question mark still going to be whether they can uh, whether Barry Robson whether Barry Robson's got the found the system yet to break down more stubborn defenses where it's not where they're expected to have more of the ball but in a game where if, I mean effectively you're playing seven players through the middle you're you've got width from your wing backs and you've got Miowski coming deep to to occupy defenders all of that like tactically savvy. Uh, with the fact that Rangers were just so passive and couldn't get a foothold in the game, uh, it's it's sweet winning at Ibrox. It's sweet getting three, and it could easily have been more. And for Scott Wright to be being being sent off was just a little chef's kiss, and not really necessarily deserving it. Even better, and and Ryan um, Jack going off, Ryan Jack going off, and but be, be being completely being completely passive. I, I, and I think, like, I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll come on to touch about uh, to at least touch on it. But it was startling the lack of quality in the the Rangers team. And yes, they had their chances. And yes, there were you know, not just in the team as well, on the, on the bench. Like they didn't have uh, yeah. anybody to come on and change the game. Well, Scott Wright comes. Scott Wright comes on. The guy they were desperate to um, send away to a Turkish a Turkish team with a, a what has to be a completely made like like that was a fictitious team. That they were trying to sell them to, so desperately <laughs> to get rid of them, because no one's called Pendix for. <laughs> but it was it, the, the whole, the whole. It, it's even when even when people have tried to give some light form of credit, like not all the players have been that signed have been a disaster. Jack Butland's been a really good player, but even that's a backhanded compliment because it's sort of it's the sort of compliment you give to a play, the team that are. Tenth in the league, yeah, exactly. The, the St Johnston compliment, where they're like, "Yeah, he's done really well. He's managed to keep them in games." When she, it's like, "This is this is unusual." And whoever comes in, that they are not inheriting a good squad. The, I mean, the 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 second and third goals, I counted 
there were eight shots on goal in about 15 seconds combined for the, for the second and third goal without any Rangers player clearing their lines. And it was all you know, second. But Jamie McGrath had two shots for before his goal. Povara had a shot. I think Jensen had two shots in mm-hmm. the box before it finally falls to, to McGrath. I think it was six. I think it was six shots they had. In that, so that there was goal. six of that one, and I think there was four maybe four or five for the for the third. So they combined the total of the two of those for like a shot coming in at being blocked. And, you know, it's you can't, you can't get to the first one every single time, but if you can't get to the first one, win the second ball or the third or the fourth <laughs> or the fifth <laughs> or the sixth and somebody take control of it and somebody take responsibility for it. Like the, the, the defence was atrocious. And I mean, there's plenty that's been said for the attack and the horrendous looking downgrade on what was on the talent that was there last season. Because I have watched many, I've watched a lot of Aberdeen games. Aberdeen have a good record against Rangers. They don't even in the last five years have the worst record against Rangers at Ibrox. I've seen plenty of games where we've been organised, stuck to a game plan and won because we've done a couple of things better than Rangers had than they haven't turned up. I don't necessarily think there was a huge amount of players on that Rangers team that were massively off the boil. I just don't think they're very good. And Aberdeen turned up, had a system, had a way of playing, and were unlucky not to score more. Well, you just see that looking throughout the team. It's it's still a back four that's got a centre-half pairing of Ben Davis and Conor Golson, which should have been upgraded on, wasn't then you've still got Ryan Jack and John Lundstrom playing together in the middle of the park. Yes, there are injuries in that Rangers team to two key players in midfield in Todd Cantwell and Nico Raskin. However, you would still expect the depth to have progressed a little bit beyond that, especially when Ryan Jack looks just about done at this point. Lundstrom's kind of had a wee bit of an improvement this season after being really poor last campaign, but still. And then you go up front, and we've talked about this all season. They've signed four players, only one of them, Looks good enough so far. Danilo, you can maybe give a pass there because he was well, he scored in in a, in a rare start and then got injured immediately. But literally, I mean, yeah, literally, more literally as he was scoring, <laughs> probably probably before he, he scored, probably before the ball at the back of the net, he was injured. But then Dessers and Lammers, because the the point in this game, the first probably the first half an hour, you would say that. Rangers came out and played like you would expect Rangers to play at Ibrox against anybody except from Celtic. They were dominant and they had chances, but they couldn't convert those chances, and partly because their forwards are crap. And Cyril Dessers, that kind of clip ball, of, I think it was three minutes in from Tavernier, and he just takes it first time and it just balloons it over the bar. And you're not surprised. You're not surprised for any of them. Like, he's the one that's maybe the big letdown for Michael Beale. And if he's looking back at his Rangers tenure and he's bemoaning his luck, he would maybe say, he was somebody that looked like he was going to be more of a sure thing. Here's a guy with a really good kind of well, a good goal scoring record. Not really good, a good goal scoring record at at levels either similar or better than the, the Scottish top flight. Sam Lammers, that signing never made any sense. Ewan, uh, our resident Rangers fan, for those uh, unaware, hated it from the start because I looked at his track record, never scored goals anywhere. I think in his career he had one season where he scored in double figures. Everything else has been like two, three. Across the course of the campaign, Michael Beale seemed to want a tournament on number 10, despite him never really playing there, and he just looks rubbish. <laughs> like, there's, there's nothing really else to be said. 
It's the one time I'm actually pleased uh, pleased that Ewan got something right. Um, usually he's too smug <laughs> about it, but uh, but this time he was he was spot on, and and it, it was uh, good to good to know. I just thought like you mentioned those goals, but every single aspect like there was another chance just be- I think just before the third goal where um, was it Miofsky had a chance, someone had a chance, and yeah, everything yeah, like every every bit of defending was so bad. Like it was, I think it was Barisic completely bottled out a fifty fifty. The cross was like no one blocking a cross. There's no one marking. It's like I often watch these goals and think, where like what are all the defenders doing? Because they're not like see how if someone if a defender doesn't block the first cross and you're like, all right, he's maybe in the middle marking. Or if someone's not in the mid- middle marking, you think, oh, maybe he's gone out to try and shut down the ball. But see, when none of those things are done, what are the defenders actually doing? And you watch them and they are just kind of standing about watching. There's not any defensive instincts. And, and you kind of get that with those fullbacks because that's not really their 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 bread and butter. And, and that's fine for a team like Rangers, but your centre-halves have to be doing centre-half stuff and, and there was just no aspect in which they were essentially doing what they're supposed to be there for and again, that's if you're a dominant team, see if you're Brendan Rodgers Celtic and your centre-half's had an off day like that, you'd be like, well, they've kind of forgot how to defend because they've not been doing it that often but Rangers have been having to defend a lot because they're they're not keeping the ball up, up the top end and it's just difficult to see what those players were doing out there apart from maybe getting their manager the sack. I think for for again to going back to that point that even when people have made sort of ca- have caveated the Beal appointment by you know highlighting a couple of players that haven't been not you know I mean almost with the exception of Butland the summer's recruitment has been pretty much disastrous I mean even Sima who seems to be all right you wouldn't say is a massive upgrade on a fashion Sakala you know a, who who they couldn't seem to get rid of quick enough, even though had a fairly decent return for not very many minutes. Even the... I can't even be sure at this point that Michael Beale isn't actually an all right coach because the players he signed look so bad that whoever comes in look... I mean, looks so far... looks so far uh, of a regression from what they had last season... I'm not sure if, if, if who they appoint now that's going to be able to get a tune out of what they've got there, and they you know caveat that with they've got huge amount of injury problems. The handful of players like your Todd Cantwell looked like a real bright spark last season. He's not been available. Lawrence has not been available. Kimmer Roof's out again. But for there to be not for there not to be any form of of, of depth there and. It doesn't have like you. You do see players regularly who miss chances. You do see players who are like they're just not, you know, they they don't they look bereft of confidence. Every time Desert's got a chance, you knew there there was no there was never any nervousness. And I'm saying this as an Aberdeen fan watching the game at Ibrox. There was I had no. I didn't have that like bit that like oh here we go this is it this is it you know a minute in how many ever many minutes this this is the chance they're gonna get it was like I I would not back him to score an open goal six yards out at the moment none like it's not just body language it's almost like a black hole of confidence it, bizarre and I so I don't I don't know what they do next because it, it almost seems like 
and it's easy to look back back on this, but you know, sack, sack Van Bronckhorst, who should have had, you know, rightly or wrongly, whatever, but should have had some cash in the bank given the season before because of the gap and because it was clear they weren't going to win the league that season. But in doing so, wrote off last season. Now, so this season, league-wise, is a write-off as well. But there's a whole bunch of players who are much worse on much longer contracts. And I would say a lot more teams this season in comparison to last season, who looked like on a given day they'd be able to turn up and beat Rangers at home or away. Yeah, it's ridiculous that a club of Rangers size don't have a director of football or sporting director or somebody who is kind of overseeing in charge of the, the transfer side of things and somewhere, someone between the manager and the board. It's just uh, to me, a, a nonsense bit. I agree with you, but you could understand them having that if they had a manager who was like such a big character and so such a big mm. manager. See, like like with, with Brendan Rodgers at Celtic, where you've got a guy who, for for whatever you think of him, is like a a big manager, a big character. And if you're like, well, that's the only way we're going to get that manager is to give him full control of the club. You can understand it, but to do that and to put that system in place for like. Like Michael Beale, like a, a guy with basically no managerial experience who you immediately can see as a used car salesman. Like, how how is he pulled the wool over their eyes? He's, a, he's from, a genius, Craig. He's a genius. Well, I wonder, I think he's doing that Austin McPhee thing of just like constantly briefing people that he's actually he's actually the one doing everything. And it's like, it's just like that. The, the people seem to be easily convinced by these like bullshitters in football and Beale's at a prime one and Rangers need a, like it's don't want a, a proper football man. They need a manager. They need someone that's been a manager. For like you're you're too big a club to be having to take a punt on a guy that had, had like thirty games in charge of QPR. Like get a manager in who's been there, done it, actually managed some football, and get someone in above him who has some experience of signing players. Again, unless you're getting like Jose Mourinho and he's like, I'm only coming to Rangers. If I can have full control, maybe you take that gamble. But otherwise, like, get a proper structure in place and run yourself like a normal football club. And because like Celtic are, I think I'm pretty sure Celtic are going to overtake them before they win another league title at this point. And that's that's surely, I would say, potentially more terrifying for them than than the ten in a row, or it should be. I think what Rangers fans would say to that is the titles when they win in the league don't count. <laughs> they do though. <laughs> Yeah, of course, of course they do. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Right, let's move on. Craig, earlier you talked about the Rangers' defence as just guys standing around watching. Harry Payton. In the dying seconds of Motherwell against Celtic, Motherwell have just equalised in the 95th minute, having gone behind in the 88th. You think, wow, what a finish this is. Great point for Motherwell. Superb, but what a job Stuart Kettlewell's doing. Oh, what's happening there? Oh, it's Matt O'Reilly just wandering into the edge of the six-jar box by himself to side foot home a finish, and Celtic win it in the 97th minute. Absolutely gutting for Motherwell fans. 
And honestly, if I was them, I would be pitchforks would be out for Mister Payton after that. What is he doing? It's um, the goal for the first. The goal is so so reminiscent of Harry Kane's equaliser in the two two draw against England. Like like it's like almost exactly that, except it rather than it was it was Craig Gordon that time who was probably a bit hesitant, and, and this time it was a defender and Payton, and it's. He's surely just caught up in the excitement of what's going on. I know he had he had a good game. He's had a, a lot of good games really since he came in at, at Motherwell and um, for for all the off field stuff and the unpleasant kind of person that he seems to be. Like what what he's um, what he's putting in on the park is is undoubtedly been very good. But yeah, he's cost him. It was very much in the James Brown mold of just like unforgivable errors to make in the last minute against Celtic after you have just equalised it. Was, it was kind of exactly the same thing. And for me, you're, you're talking about it being a sickener. I think when, when Celtic scored the first goal, I thought I, I would uh, have a wee, a wee go at winding Graham up. Um, just, just uh, you know, classic uh, classic inter-diddy because he, he'd, uh, he'd had a wee pop when they scored against us. So I thought, oh, that's quite funny. I'll, I'll, I, um, I'll, I'll get him going. And then obviously he gave it gave it back, both barrels when Mother will equalise. And even at that, <laughs> I could not bring myself to to go back again when Celtic scored because it's just it's absolutely sickening when you manage to salvage something like that against against a team like that they obviously you don't get results against very often. And then you yeah, have to have it snatched back off you. And it's criminal to just switch off after you've scored there you're you've done everything right they played so well they I wouldn't say that they, they had more more than enough chances to probably be ahead before they, they can see now Celtic are also created opportunities but as a performance that you want from a team at home to Celtic I don't think you could ask for anything more from Motherwell from that first well I would say the first 87 minutes but in reality the first 96 minutes and to get yourself back into it, and it's such a good goal, the equaliser, in that panicked position, that last minute, to have the composure to kind of pass it around them, and then for Spittle to kind of, I wouldn't even say take the touch, but just have the kind of um, sort of drop of the shoulder that takes them away from the defender, and the finish is so good, and everything about it, it's like lined up for Mullerwell to be kind of thinking, you know, we are really doing something here, and instead, it's like bang, and that, that's you, and, and you get nothing for it, and, and that's something that's really hard to bounce back from. Um, now, I think they've probably got the character to do so, but it's yes, it's such a disappointing one. Well, you say that, you do have to be careful because they have lost three games now on the spin. Now, those games were against Celtic and Rangers and St Mirren. I mean, uh, to be fair, that is the, the, that is the top three right there. In each one, they were unlucky as well. They should have, that second half performance, should have got them a point at Ibrox. Against St Mirren, they were the better team at home, but they managed to, to lose the game 1-0. And there's a lot to like, but winning just winning and... Sorry, I meant to say losing. But winning and losing are both habits, and you can fall into them very easy. And it's easy to see where Motherwell's potential slide into the bottom six could come from. And that is the fact that the, the way Kettlewell set up this team with these four central midfielders playing around the, the central striker is very impressive and they've, they've looked good when he's done this. And even when he's dropped one of them and bringing one of them off the bench and played with a more kind of traditional 3-5-2 that have looked impressive. However, whoever they stick up front, none of them look really that great. Like, I think there was a bit more hope for Wilkinson at the start of the season. I don't know whether he was the, the latest, the, the last sub of the three forwards available to be used because of fitness. 
But when I've seen him, I've not been particularly impressed. He looks like somebody that's got a decent touch. He can maybe hold it up a little, but has little else other than that. There's no real, at this point at least, there doesn't seem to be any real explosiveness to his game. And I don't think he's had a particularly great goal-scoring record wherever he's been either. Ollie Shaw. We've been over this many, many times throughout the years. He, he started off by somebody that looked like he really knew his way to go and had little else to his game. And then he's struggled to score goals as his career has gone on while not adding too much to the other aspects of his game that weren't there when he was a youngster. And it actually looks like at this point in time that Theo Bear might be Motherwell's best option as a centre forward until Mika Beareth comes back and perhaps lives up to the hype generated by that debut, or I don't know if it was a debut, but that that cameo off the bench against Hibs where he basically won that game by himself. If that doesn't happen, then Motherwell are going to have a problem all season with this. And it's a shame because it will otherwise stop a, a team that I still think are very much greater than the sum of their parts. But Stuart Kettlewell's got them playing some nice football. He's getting the best out of players like Blair Spittle, Callum Slattery. Lenny Miller looks excellent at, at 17 years old. But they could... This could be a tr- they're still they're too good to really concern themselves too much with like relegation, but in, in a season where there is an opportunity there to to try and maybe have a go at finishing the European places, not having a, a forward they can rely on is definitely going to cost them. I think that was always going to be. The, I, I I think to some extent though, the problems highlighted are what people thought they would have this season rather than the way that they actually started the season. I mean they. They're trying to replace a thirty goal a season striker. Nobody can replace a thirty goal a season striker. None of us. Celtic at a push, but almost nobody can do that. And rather, but rather than go right, we'll try and get another guy in who can do what Kevin Van Veen could do. We'll change the system. We'll make ourselves much harder to beat. And I think what I've been most impressed with Motherwell is not that they are they play some neat football because they do play some neat football. But when they've needed to, they can go long as well and they can mix it up. And for a relatively, for a team that's relatively new put together, and yes, well, most of the players were there last season, but still in a, in a relatively new system, playing a quite a unique kind of system, that's, that's pretty impressive. I think what I was most impressed with I think the the three defeats have been frustrating for different reasons. The or or there's been a different thing to take out of them for different reasons. The defeat to St Mirren was kind of just a, a a loss of momentum and a kind of the result that you would expect Motherwell to have in any given season. The restra- the the defeat to Rangers was like that. That was a massive missed opportunity. You were more than in that game. You had more than enough opportunity, and Rangers were nowhere near it where they should have been confidence-wise. What I think was slightly different with this, or or maybe it's the flip side of what you're saying, is they they went toe-to-toe with Celtic. They didn't... Yes, they were defensive. Yes, they were more compact. They didn't exactly come out and play huge, long spells of expansive football, but it wasn't like sitting and hit them on the break. They had a clear idea to get the ball, especially out wide right, they played through the lines really nicely when they had to go long. They, they switched between the fullbacks nicely um, with the with the diagonal. They had a really good good game plan, and it wasn't just. I mean, it was resign yourself to thirty percent possession rather than ten, but 
there was enough in it as a team that there's something to 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 take from that, albeit with a lapse in concentration, then you get yourself back into it, and then a, a, a second, even worse lapse in concentration. But I think, I, I don't know. I, I, like, it, it depends what Motherwell's realistic expectations, and that's not an insult, what, what the expectations were for this season, given where they finished last season with the best striker they've had in a generation. What, what were the expectations this season? I think my expectation was that they would potentially be a struggler like Kettlewell had built a lot of momentum up. He's had a phenomenal record. I think the second best record points wise in the league since he came in, but there was always a feeling that that was going to revert to the mean. It kind of just had to, but I think there, there is enough about them and they're, they're one of probably three teams where they've put together a good squad that are more than some of their parts with players that have been around the league for a really long time, but have largely been kind of dogs of war or or squad players elsewhere and haven't necessarily shown what they can do as football players the way that they are for Motherwell. So I, I don't know. I, I still think there's a, there's a signs for optimism there. And when they, if they adopt that style and play that way more often, they'll be more than fine this season. I think just to, to, to touch on Celtic, I guess like I think Europe is going to be the thing for them this season because domestically I don't think this is a very good Celtic team like relative to other Celtic teams. I was actually thinking that you've got to be kicking yourself if you're Rangers or Rangers fan because I mean there's times recently where Celtic have won titles if you think of Rogers first season, if you think of Postacoglu I mean, you can maybe even say both seasons, even though Rangers are the lead in one of them, that it's just like such a good Celtic team that it's kind of hard to be like, right, we should have... I mean, you can always say that as part of one half of the old firm because you should win every single game. And then if you think you're better than your your opponents, i.e. the other half of the old firm, you think you should win those as well. But being realistic, there's there's campaigns where you just it's going to take a Herculean effort to actually go and win the title against this opponent. This season is not one of them. It doesn't look like. Yeah, they're, they're not that great... Like they're they're good. They're clearly the best team in the country. I think that's very clear. But they're not at the level of what Rogers had before. They're more in par with like a one of Neil Lennon's teams that won, like in the middle of like when Rangers weren't even in the league kind of thing. And therefore, they're already out of a cup. So they're not going to win a treble. So what are you looking at as to make the season interesting for them? It basically is going to be can they do something in Europe now? The final result and and especially the performance in the second half takes away a lot of their chance of, of getting through in the Champions League, but they've got some game, they've got an opportunity, it's not a, it's not a big one, but they've definitely got a chance that they could finish third in this group, keep themselves in Europe and see what, where they can go, or at the very least, like, get a win, get a scout, give them something exciting, because I think otherwise, you're basically going to get to the end of the season where they win a league, they maybe even win a double, and there's a bit of a sense of, like, meh, about the whole thing for them. Yeah, I mean, they're still... One thing I would say is that they're still embedding some players into this team. And you saw one of them come off the bench and make an impact in Lewis Palmar because if that's the player he's going to be, and it's certainly, I remember having a look at him before we'd done our best and worst signing predictions podcast at the start of last month, where I had I had a look at him on Wisecout at his previous, and he did look like somebody was a bit more direct. And I think that's kind of what Celtic are lacking a little bit in their attack. Because if you look at the... I mean, Yang is direct, but he looks direct in terms of somebody that's going to look to create it, as opposed to score. He looks like he's going to take on his man and get a ball in as opposed to take on his man and then try to whip it in the back of the net. Whereas Palmer plays like a forward who plays on the wing 
if, if you know what I mean. And I think you could maybe see that with his goal kind of cutting inside and then going for the far corner. Um, I, I think it was a shot. I've seen some Motherwell fans think, saying it was a cross. It, was a shot. Ah, it looked like a shot to me. But because you've got Mather there as well, and he's... Rodgers himself, himself said himself he thinks he's played out of position by being on the left because he thinks of him as a, a centre-forward. And we know his qualities, but they're not often... He's certainly got the ability to win a match. He wouldn't be playing for Celtic if he did, but obviously Mather kind of... His main highlight is how hard he works and then how kind of hard he runs. So Palma, if he does emerge and he does start to to play regularly and he does does start to contribute, I think he is something that Celtic are missing that attack, which would give them an extra threat to their front three and kind of make them a bit more like the Rogers team first time round when you had Scott Sinclair, who was so deadly coming off that left hand side. Right, let's move on to our third game, which took place at Rugby Park. I thought this was potentially the most interesting game coming into the weekend's fixtures. Didn't really happen like that in the park, though, did it, Craig? This was uh, not a game that was not an entertaining one for the neutral, not that anyone no. would have been watching. I'm not sure it was an entertaining one for, for anyone. Um, like, <laughs> it's a minimal mind because they're, they're on, obviously, they're still, they're still not lost. They're, they're like, um, rolling their way through or they're, they're keeping themselves kind of up the top anyway, sorry. And they got that point, which they'll probably see as an all right result. They, they given it's a, a, well, I don't think they've beaten us since we came back up. So it's a, it's a team that they've, they've struggled against. And they probably, when they went behind, they weren't under onslaught or anything like that, but Kelly were on top at that point until until Kyle, Kyle McGuinness popped up, and I was saying he was he was rolling back the years because he um, scored a bullet finish for St Mirren and then went off injured, and that is very much <laughs> Kyle, Kyle McGuinness's um, the the thing the things that he was doing four years ago, but it was a it was a real shame for him because he has been to me a, a pretty big performer for Kelly since he came in and. Especially saw in the second half in particular against Hearts in midweek, he was the one that was maybe... I mean, it's always hard when someone's prominent because they're wearing a, a big bandage around their head so you really spot what they're doing. But he was the one who was at the centre of everything when, when we were trying to get back into that game. And again, he's he's just a massive upgrade in that midfield and, and you don't, we don't know what it is yet, but you hope you're not losing him for a, for a long time. Um, but it's Kyle McGuinness. And at that point, I think Kelly... <laughs> Kelly are very much like on the precipice at the moment because obviously there's there's a lot of negativity. We haven't won since we beat Celtic in the League Cup. We beat Rangers and Celtic, drew drew away to Hearts, and then and then have not had a good result since. Um, and I think it's five, six games in all competitions without a win, but it's three consecutive draws in the league. And the disappointing thing is, despite not really having played well since the first half against Motherwell conceivably we probably could have gone one result better in every single one of those games because we could have um, and, and should have beat Motherwell, to be honest, the way we played in the first half, at the very least should have held on for a point. We obviously definitely should have got a point against Ross County given that, that we literally scored a goal and then missed a penalty as a result. And then the the three draws consecutively after that missed an absolute sitter at the end or, or at least a good chance against Hibs last minute goal against Dundee and in the lead in this one and kind of chuck it away a bit. So even though we're not playing well, it feels like a bit of an upgrade in terms of not playing well and getting some results rather than just not playing well at all. But it's that precipice thing of do you get a wee result over the line and then improve or do you just fall off? And the problem is the next game Celtic Park. Um, 
So you can see which way it's likely to go next, but there's that run. Well, those are the only teams you defeat, Craig. That's so true. I'll, I'll that's be a one-nil victory at Kelly. <laughs> Possibly, I'll take it. Um, I'll take it. It would be. It would be the third time in in seventy years. So I'm not expecting much, but um, you never know. And but yeah, it's so it's a bit frustrating because I think we could easily be sitting with a points tally similar to what St Mirren currently have without having really done much differently, without really having played that much better. And so it's, it feels like missed opportunity at the moment, but if you stop winning, it turns from missed opportunity into relegation battle. And that's not where I, I expect the season to go and it's not where I want it to go. So it's kind of a bit weird in that situation. Um, Ennis Cameron got a start in this game. Obviously Watkins is, is missing... I think Rob spoke about him quite well on the the podcast that um, was talking about kind of interesting players for each club. He's just not, he's just not at this level. He's a Kelly fan. He's a good big big unit. Chucks himself about and all the rest of it. But he is noticeably worse than every other player on the park every single time he plays. And unfortunately, that leads to a lot of things breaking down. And there's only so much that you can you can put up with with that. I think. And yeah, it feels. There's just things like that where you just are like, is this what we're, we're kind of going through again this season? And it was really yeah, disappointing from that point of view that there have been key injuries at key points that have probably just disrupted things, but we've built a bit of a squad this season where that shouldn't be affecting things as much as it had. From St Mirren's point of view, they they played all right and, and they, they deserved a point, absolutely. I think a draw was a very fair result for this game, but they didn't create chances the way I've seen St Mirren do in some of their other games I think I mean every game with St Mirren's been tight like this season pretty much but they didn't really create many opportunities Dennis didn't have a lot to do unlike in other games where I've seen them do a lot more as an attacking force but defensively they're so good Alex Gogic is um, I mean I think he's been been their, their player of the season even though you've had Tanzer and Strain constantly setting up and scoring goals every week but um, they've just got so much going for them at the moment Gogic, I saw that in the stats, had the most successful defensive actions of any centre-half in the top flight this past weekend, including the most interceptions made by a centre-half as well, so that shows you how good a game he had. Tom, before you add anything, I just want to to add something myself here. Craig, you talked about that equalising goal for St Mirren. I would like to draw our attention to the opening goal. Me too. Brad Lyons, yes. because this is one of my favourite goals of the season. <laughs> yeah. um, because usually you, you, you get guys in your team like Brad Lyons who are all about their endeavour, really. They're there to to do what some managers call the unseen work, to work hard, to get in the faces of opponents, to to, to just, yeah, be, be a bundle of energy, to run about, to, to help set the tempo for, for the kind of flair players to go and win the game. Because you can't score a goal through hard work alone. Until now. <laughs> he chases down Charles Everyone. Dunn trying to, trying to play the ball at the, uh, he chases, chases about the park eventually gets to Charles Dunn who's trying to just lump the ball at the park safety first nope Brad Lyons doesn't let him do it so, clean solid contact on the ball he's in step sends it looping up in the air Zach Hemman comes rushing out to try and claim it he is weak as fuck it has to be said Brad Lyons then out jumps the goalkeeper heads the ball as it then trundles into the back of the net aesthetically pleasing it is not but I just thought it was very good fun it's really good it's a goal that's like straight out it's like it was designed to be played in slow motion on like Ted Lasso or something like a script writer would do he charges down 
a clearance and then gets on the end of his own charge down. Which I mean, the Hemming attempt to get the he's he's trying to take the ball at like waist height despite the fact he's jumped and he can put his hands up and if he puts his hands up in the air he either gets the ball or probably gets the foul because there's a clear attempt to get the ball as high as you can but he doesn't he tries to like catch it almost like rugby style underarm so there's an opportunity to to, just it's a it's a brilliant goal for none of the reasons that you would normally cite a a brilliant goal it's just really 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 good fun and and that was probably disappointing that we know we know Hemming and we know the good and the bad of him because um, and that's not the goal I would expect Zach Hemming to really concede because he's quite I found him as a goalkeeper in the championship season he stayed on his line a lot but when he came for crosses he got more and more confident in coming and claiming everything and coming quite far to claim crosses and stuff so he became pretty decent at that but what he always struggled with is like confidence so when he's made a mistake like easily following things up on that and like long distance shots and just saving things that are fired in at his body and in at him and we never did that in this game we never took pot shots and and stuff like that when you've got guys like Kennedy and Armstrong on the pitch that's that's what they're good at apart from anything and we didn't do that nearly enough I think Kennedy also had like a for example a goal from like a 40 yard free kick that was maybe an attempt at that but there was nothing or wasn't enough of, of a an attempt to really capitalise on him being a bit shaky after that goal because we, we should have known him as a goalkeeper and known what he was about. And and I think that's been a theme through the season that Hemming has correctly been receiving a lot of praise and, and I'm really pleased about that because I, I, I kind of staked on him being a good goalkeeper even after the bad season he had last season. But he's not been properly tested by almost anyone. Right, let's move on to our fourth game, which took place in the Highlands as Hearts went up to Ross County and left with all three points and a 1-0 victory, making it two successive wins for Stephen Naismith and relieving a little bit of the pressure that's on him right now, although that pressure will just immediately go back on if he loses to Hibs in the Edinburgh Derby next weekend. But still, a good result for Hearts. Alex Lowry again showing that he does, in fact, bring something after just... He was, in fact, written off by somebody on this podcast. I just almost forgot about that. Craig Anderson predicted he'd be the worst player in the Heart Squad this season. And to be fair, at the time, I wasn't arguing too much. I just knew that, having seen him in that game against Johnson the first day of the campaign, where, again, similar to this one, he came off the bench and and helped get Hearts... Well, get Hearts the three points, basically, with his creativity, that he was at it again against County when, again, coming off... Playing in a role that I think will suit him if Hearts go forward with this formation. It was Hearts playing at a 3-5-2 with predominantly... It was one player sitting in Ewanhoff and then two ahead of him. It started as George Grant and Aidan Denham, but then Lowry came on. And in that role, he was able to kind of freely move around the park, which I think has been the the biggest flaw so far of Lowry in a, a Hearts jersey. When he's played... Hart started off the season playing on a 4-4-2 and when he played on the left, which is kind of where you really want him to be playing that system, he just didn't have any idea really where he was supposed to stand most of the time because even if you play, even if your game is about drifting inside, you're supposed to at least keep the shape of the team before you do that. He was just drifting wherever the hell he wanted to and it just meant that he was almost marking himself at the game by going and standing in areas that were overcrowded. But he came on this one and moved about well to help create the goal for Alan Forrest who... I think I did say in Thursday's podcast that Forrest, for his limitations, compared to a number of his teammates in terms of his 
you know, maybe technical ability or match winning abilities. He's somebody that's very direct. He's somebody that will run at opponents, and that's something that Hearts have been lacking in this team this season. Is enough players to like just have a go, have a go at their marker, have a go at trying to to do something in the final third. Doesn't always come off for him, but he's got his rewards for this one. Playing at right wing back as well because Hearts started with Odell Fire out on the right flank, but he very much seemed like a defender playing at right wing back and it's interesting interesting Hearts going with this change of shape I wonder if it was just for this game and he's going to keep it for the match against Hibs at Tynecastle. I'd be surprised because Hibs basically play with four forwards so if you play with a back five you're maybe you're either maybe leaving gaps that the centre halves can't cover or you are making sure that your wing backs are pushed too far back and you don't get any width as an attacking force but it was a, a formation change that certainly worked for this one because I think it was about making sure that the county forwards didn't have an impact on this game. It would st- they started with Jordan White and Alex Samuel trying to play high balls to them. Frankie Kent won every single header in the air and both county forwards were taken off at halftime. And, and I think with, with Hearts, like they, they do have players who are allow them to play kind of flexibly. I think that's been one of the strengths of their recruitment in general. I've, I, th- I think the recruitment's been, been not that great, but what they have done is they've brought in guys who have more or less been comfortable. Obviously saw them play a, a back three under Robbie Nielsen quite a lot as well. So it's, they've got guys who can do that. They've got guys who can play in a four as well now, I think. And so that is pretty important when you're playing Hearts are in that weird position where they still have to sometimes set up to be really defensive in a game. Um, but they also have to sometimes be the team who are completely going out to win a game. And, you, and you're not, you're in that, you're not, like if you're Celtic, you don't really have to worry about the defensive stuff unless you know you go to Europe, but you're probably going to get beat anyway. And if you're Ross County, you can kind of play one way all the time. But with Hearts, they're kind of in that middle middle boat, and and having flexibility allows you to have a slightly smaller squad as well because you don't have to cover that as long as you've got young guys like Denham who are legs. It doesn't matter really what they do; they just you know they'll run about, and that gives you a wee bit of um, a wee bit of leeway. And and they deserve to win, I think, Hearts in this game. And and to go, they're not their away record historically has not been good, and that's two away wins in in the space of like five days. So that in itself is is pretty big for them. You've mentioned though that um, it's now a few wins in a row. That but that the the sort of spectre on the horizons, the Hibs game, and if that goes wrong, then the pressure gets heaped back. What what does what does Stephen Naismith need to do to give himself a break from that pressure? Beat Hibs. Is that but is that it? Yes. Beat Hibs and then there's there's optimism until because it I seems it, like I think, if it, I think if it wins three games in a row, that, that's that third one in a row. Um, I, I, hang on, let me have a look at the quick look at the table. I don't have it in front of me. Not not many teams will win three games in a row this season. <laughs> no, yeah, it certainly doesn't seem like that. Yeah, I know Aberdeen have just done it, but um, they, they, it's not. I don't think it's something that's going to happen for for many teams very much. All right, so they'll, they'll still be likely in fourth place because they're five points behind St Mirren, and well, it depends if you think that Rangers will beat St Mirren actually on the Sunday. That could hmm, that might be a home win actually. So yeah, they might be third. <laughs> we'll be looking up at St Mirren weirdly, but they might be third come next week if they do manage to beat Hibs and. That will, at the very least, I mean, after that, there's games against Celtic and against Rangers. So I don't think any Hearts fan is under any illusions to expect any results out of that 
But if he beats Hibs, he's got these two games. If even in one of them, Hearts play well and put up a really good fight, even in defeat, that'll be enough not to add any more pressure. And then after that, there are, there's a home game against Livingston before the League Cup final. Sorry, League Cup semi-final. So we win that Livingston game. And yeah, so just the victory against Hibs will just will just prove enough. But it's, it's not just because it's a game against Hibs and, and Hearts, quote-unquote, to put, put too much stock in, in games against Hibs. Um, often said by Hibs fans, they should maybe try doing that and then they might actually win the fair share of them. But it's also the fact that it does signal a corner being turned. And he's under pressure because he's still, I still see some fans saying that they still don't really believe that he's the, the right man to take the club forward. There's just a lot of suspicion around it. But if you win three games in a row, two of those being away from home and another one being against Hibs, that does suggest that, okay, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And I think there will be a, the, the majority of fans will begin to trust that he is the right man for the job for the for the time being at least and obviously that could change with three defeats in a row at some point in the season this has always been the case with any Hearts manager Robin I was even thinking this earlier Robin Nielsen even had the season we finished third we lost to Dundee and we lost to St Johnson in quick succession and there was fans vocally saying oh we need to change the manager <laughs> we're still third clear and third <laughs> it's just mad sometimes but that's just it's, it's the nature of football fans in general, but especially Hearts fans. Very, very low patience for reasons I, 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 can't, I can't really explain myself. Right, we don't really talk about County, but there's not really much to say. They were very defensive in this one. They kind of started to play a little bit. I can see why you'd be defensive against this Hearts team if you can frustrate them long enough. But it's not a game at Tynecastle. It's not that kind of that claustrophobic atmosphere that can really get in the backs of players when they're struggling to break the deadlock for 60 minutes. Hearts fans away from home, I know it's going to be a, a process and they basically just waited until Hearts kind of got themselves in front and then had a go. And that's a bit frustrating if you're a County fan because, yes, Hearts got a good result in midweek, but it's still very much a... They didn't play well in midweek. Neither team played well yeah, in midweek. Exactly. Hearts, were much, Hearts were much better in this game than they were in, in yeah. the Kelly game. So so County really, yeah, I can see why you maybe just want to frustrate Hearts and feel you could get something as the game goes on. But it was, I, I don't know, I think it was the wrong approach for a Hearts team that had they gone behind early on, might not have had the the confidence in themselves to, to rescue that game. I mean, it does seem overly simplistic, but they're... The, the strategy of just not being as bad as Livingston or St. Mary, or St. Johnston, like that that seems to be the, the Ross County's. Like we, if we if we finish above St. Johnston and Livingston this season, we'll be fine, which is both true and a risky strategy to have because they've got better squads. They they have a better squad than both, and started the season better, playing better than I thought they would. But they're there's been a bit more chopping and changing in recent weeks. The, they were they were terrible last weekend against Aberdeen. And they were a bit better in the, the midweek game. But the the kind of go-to guys don't seem to be clicking at the moment. They're, they're not a good team to watch as well. And that's no. that's something that's annoying fans. Especially when like Malky Mackay first came as manager, a lot of fans obviously hated it for numerous text-based reasons. 
at least there was the positive even of that. He's, he's abrasive. He's, he's not a likable person, yeah, even right. if that wasn't the case. <laughs> but he's, he's many, he's many things. He's many things, but he's not a bad football manager. That That's it. Like that, that was always the thing. It was like, he's, he's many things and most of them unpleasant, but he's never been a bad football manager. Like his track record as a, as a manager has always been pretty good. And so they did play good football that first season. They played exciting football and it was like, yeah. oh, well, we've got this, you know, horrible, racist, misogynistic, et cetera, et cetera, as a manager. However, we are football fans at the end of the day. The, the team are playing well and they're good to watch, but fans couldn't actually watch them because that was during the COVID season. And then since then, the fans have been allowed back at the grounds. I've still got this manager who they dislike and the football's been dire and they nearly got relegated last year. And this year, it looked early on like they were a good team, but they've not looked good recently. Right, let's move on to our penultimate game. This took place at McDermott Park. St. Johnson won, Livingston won. Guys, Tom, I'll go to you first on this one. Uh, Green shoots uh, a recovery for St. Johnson, perhaps? Only in the sense... Maybe a little bit. <laughs> green, probably not green. Like, it's just not all tarmac. <laughs> <laughs> There's... It, this was a match, but it was it was strangely entertaining, given the 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 absolute dearth of quality. That it, the amount of time the ball was given away, or players were miscontrolling it, or it, it was it was a poorer game quality wise, as I can remember. Like two teams that really didn't look. Didn't look like they had an awful lot of. Obviously, didn't have an awful lot of quality, but didn't have an awful lot of confidence. Didn't know exactly what they were. Didn't know quite what they were capable of in in the game. St Johnston were the better team, had the better chances, but again, probably uh, we've said it a couple of times on this. What do you take from a uh, not positive do you, do you take the positives when you don't don't get exactly the result you want or do you look at where the the issues are the issues again for St Johnston is they just don't look like they've got goals in that team so when they were when they had when they created chances and they did create chances Livingston didn't were were all over the shop they just didn't look like they had anybody that was that was going to be getting on the end of any kind of chances that uh, that they had. Costello, who scored like, a perfectly, perfectly good goal, albeit Jamal George going down in stages to, to get to it, he had a couple of chances that should really have uh, have buried. And if they're, you know, if they're not firing, firing, they don't necessarily seem to have the squad to to rotate and bring somebody else in who would be higher on confidence. But but neither side looks like they're they're particularly good this season. Nobody could really get a grip on the game. There was no point where there was sustained pressure. And I think with St Johnston it feels a little like it it always felt like at McDermott Park, regardless of if there was two and a half thousand people there, whatever, the they were they were hellish to play against. They were a really really difficult team to play against. That like the midfield, the average age of the midfield might be forty seven or whatever it was, but they would get in people's faces, make it really hard, and they rarely got steamrolled by anybody. 
the atmosphere at McDermott Park seems like palpably flat now. It feels like it. it what, watching the highlights looks like you're watching a League One game. Partly because the quality is not very good at the moment, but the 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 atmosphere, the sense of anticipation that you get, the sense of that when you're watching a vaguely successful team, that there's a a feeling that something might happen, that just doesn't seem to be to be there at the moment, and so yeah, they stopped the rot and that they didn't lose again, but they didn't win a game that they had the best of the chances. They're they lost. Uh, you know they're going to lose. Um, lost him Gordon to suspension. Uh, for I think that's a good thing. Pro- well, probably. I mean, he's he's seriously regressed. But I mean, I don't whether it's him or whether it's the team he, he's part of. But they'll barring barring an appeal because it was a contentious uh, contentious red. But they'll, they'll lost lose him and. Uh, they lost. I mean, it was a and a contentious penalty as well that that, that Livingston got, but they should have had enough of, and they should have had enough in this. They had most of the shots. They had most of the uh, they had most of the possession, but they were they were more effective with with the ball when they had it. They were more direct and uh, and had more sort of sustained pressure as much as anybody had sustained pressure, and have come away with with a from a home game against what looks to be the second worst team in the league or certainly the second lowest on confidence in the league with just a point. The the thing for me with the game was like St Johnston there there was very there were very few moments of quality in the game, as you said, Tom. The one moment of quality came not not in the directly from the goal because the goal itself, as you said, was a mistake from from George and it was a, it was a decent enough attempt from Costello in the first place. It was a good, so it's it a direct thing. Not in the assist from Phillips either because I don't think he was actually trying to pass it through to Costello. I think he was trying to play it to I can't remember who the player was. It was one short of that. I couldn't quite make it out. But the the nice little kind of triangles of passing before that was the one time where I thought yeah, St Johnson have got a wee grip here in their. They're doing stuff and we've not seen much of that from them this season. But apart from that, they were just like both teams are just a bit I think Livy of the results have not matched their performances in, in a positive way. They've 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 got better results than they've played. Um but uh, and maybe this was another case of that and, and that might be what, what kind of um makes them all right this season. They got lucky, I would say, with the penalty decision, but it's a very daft challenge to make when a player's going nowhere he does put hands on him and and I wonder if the referee thinks he's clipped his feet as well I don't think he has but you can see why that's given and I think VR's probably correct not to overturn when the referee gives that one because I think there's enough about it I was surprised by the red card I have to say on first viewing I was like I think that could be a red but when the referee seemingly didn't even give a free kick which is bizarre I don't think there was enough in it to then go back and give a red because actually the it looks bad, but where he actually contacts him is not that dangerous. So it was a it was a weird kind of couple of decisions there. But again, yeah, it's it's Gordon being in both cases just doing things he doesn't have to do. It's a it's a daft way to go into a challenge, and it's a daft thing to do when a player is going away from goal, especially when the player that's going away from goal, even if he was going towards goal probably isn't going to score the way he's playing so it's uh, I, I just think yeah, there was not much to write home about from either team from this game 
Yeah, the illustrating thing that really struck me from the Livingston one was Sean Kelly starting in the back three instead of Luigi De Lucas, who's been one of their better players so far this season. He didn't play particularly well against either of Celtic and Rangers, but that's Celtic and Rangers. Like, I, 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 Sean Kelly, he was a strange signing for Livingston initially, but David Martindale, as David Martindale just tends to do, sometimes is like three steps ahead of everybody, saw him as a top flight centre midfielder. And... Nobody saw that before, but it, it seemed to work. Kelly was a decent enough player. He wasn't like, you know, player of the year contender or anything like that, but he was he was good. He was good for Livingston, and it was quite surprising. But now he just seems to like him enough that he wants to play him anywhere. And we've seen this story with Sean Kelly before at centre-half. He's not... He's got the body of a centre-half, but he, he's not great at that position. He wasn't great at that position in League One with Falkirk. So it's, it's not going to be the case that he's going to be like that for Livingston in the top flight. And also... They were very regimented in trying to pass it out from the back in the first half. And all it really ended up leading to was them punting it long eventually, when it, when it clearly wasn't working. The, the change in style and tempo at halftime meant Livingston played a, a bit better in this one, but some odd decisions from, from Martindale to, to begin the game. I think that and the, that penalty was the of the last 14 that Livingston have had. It's the sixth one they've scored. They have a really terrible record at penalties. Yeah, I saw Livingston fans being like, yeah, yeah, we scored a penalty. Right, let's get to our final game, which was the 0-0 draw at Easter Road. It's always on the Terrace Podcast. We have draws last, and that was between Hibs and Dundee. Although, I have to say, having watched back the vast majority of this one, not a bad 0-0. That's to be said, chances at both ends, some decent play. It was quite a, the first half especially, quite an open game with teams going... Kind of to and fro, Dundee's counter-attack was causing Hibs problems. Hibs, with their plethora of attacking options, were obviously causing Dundee problems as well. Hibs had, I would say, a bit more control of the second 45 minutes, but perhaps not managing to carve open Dundee as, as frequently, or at least not getting chances. They had a few chances for set pieces in the first half of the Hibs. They didn't really get that as much in the second period. And then Dundee, at the end, almost stealing it with a, a good counter-attack. And it was... It was botched. The, their last pass wasn't good. Like they, they, they just yeah. they had a much better opening than what it turned into. Yeah, and then they nearly scored it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jordan Obita just decided not to mark the only person in the penalty area. It's like, oh, but just stand here. This should be fine, right? No, just go. Make sure that guy doesn't get the ball. It was Owen Beck that nearly scored. He has to be the. I meant to have a look, like around the rest of the league, in case there was anybody I'm forgetting. He's got to be my favourite signing so far of the season, or at least the the most exciting player to watch to come into the league. Because I'm trying to think of like who's coming to Celtic. Nobody's really got properly up to speed yet. It's like an attacking player. Rangers, we've already discussed, their attacking players are a lot of crap. And, I mean, Hearts as well. Some of their new guys, like Vargas, looks all right, but he's not really done too much yet. Adam Lafondre's quite good at Hibs. Venti's good, but he's more of a just kind of out-and-out number nine. For somebody who just love to kind of watch play, Owen Beck's great. I love how he moves with the football. He just charges inside and out. Happy to go, really. He reminds me, this is... Well, there's parallels to be drawn. A, City Discovery. And B, Liverpool Connection. He reminds me of Andy Robertson at Dundee United. Well, High praise indeed. He maybe he may, maybe he can skip the, the spending three years with Hull step of his career and just, <laughs> just go straight into the Liverpool team. After he's finished, after he's finished finishing eighth with Dundee, <laughs> I, that, that, I mean, and Dundee on that though, like 
I don't think Hibbs under um, Montgomery, at least until he's kind of put his stamp on the team, but probably never, will draw very many games 0-0 at home. But I think Dundee under Doherty will probably draw a lot of games 0-0 away. <laughs> they are a, a really good team this season. I don't think they're, they're not a really good team. They are, for a newly promoted club, a club who stumbled over the line in the championship, they are very competent and they have signed well and they have guys who look like they know how to battle for points but they also have guys who when it comes down to it they can create openings and they they look a damn sight better than most of the newly promoted teams that come up um, when those newly promoted teams aren't like Hearts or Hibs or Rangers or whatever and they I, I don't really think I, I think they'll be in the bottom six I think they'll probably not be absolutely guaranteed to be safe until like four games to go but I don't think they're going to be ever like really in the mix to go down this season and for Dundee as a newly promoted club that in itself given their history of yo-yoing will be um, will be pretty big for them and I think they've they've got a lot of credit from that and this performance summed a lot of it up because they they soaked up a fair bit but they didn't they didn't concede like glaring chances that often I thought that was one of the one of the interesting things from you know all the, the the Sky Sports team of the week and the who scored points have all got Trevor Carson as the player bit like man of the match and he was good he had lots of he had lot he was called into action a lot Hibbs had a lot of shots I don't think and this is not a slight on him at all but I don't think it was one of the saves that he made where like oof that that is a that's a really, really good save. He was just alert to the danger when they when when the danger was there. I think all the saves were made were kind of like you'd expect that of a semi competent goalkeeper, and he was alert to danger as and when it was there. It, so from that in that regard, it was it was strange because Hibbs, because of the way that they'd set up, got so many overlaps, and when when they broke through. There, there were opportunities when they broke through. The, the, there was this constant sense of danger, but because they are this cut and shut, half and half team at the moment, with this forward line which is like can deal with this because there's pace, trickery, goals. You know they play off the shoulder. Venta plays off the shoulder really nicely. He looks like a proper number nine. There, there's all sorts of danger going forward, but the minute that anybody wins the ball, wins possession back and breaks. That defence looks prone. It is not a midfield built to kind of sit in and take pressure either. So it I've had, made... Hips haven't, Hips haven't had a midfield since like uh, like John McGinn left. Like <laughs> that, that midfield was the last time they had a midfield like worth, worth their salt in the top flight. Like that's been a consistent problem with them. Yeah, it's... And, and even it's always going to be a chance to re, to replace a John McGinn, but even just somebody that can tackle, like a, a anyone willing to just put put the foot. But, on the, them. but they, yeah, they have to do a wee like, like it's like they've done that. They've went, oh, we'll get Alex Goggic, we'll get um, Jimmy Jago. Like, you, you do also need like just a it wee bit more than that. You're playing for Hibs. You're not playing for like no offense to Kilmarnock, St Mirren, all these level of clubs, you, you need to just a wee bit more, like a little bit. And but even even that, like I mean, you know, John, John again, a once in a once in a generation talent, understand. But like the the lots of other teams seem to be able to manage to find a 
semi-competent midfielder that can tackle, run, and seventy-five percent of his passes find a teammate. That seems that that seems like a base level for it, but they don't seem to have that at the moment. And and defensively, look, I mean, it does feel a little bit like we're we're still asking the question of, you know. Who's going to be the Stevenson replacement? Oh, who's going to be the Hanlon replacement? Oh, it's, it's Stevenson and Hanlon again. We're wheeling them back out again for what the seventh manager, eighth man? I don't know what what number More we're on. That, actually, probably. I just who knows. So, so which made for a strange, strange kind of game. Hibs are going to sooner or later hammer someone. They're also going to lose six two to somebody who's just better set up than they are at least until January when you'd hope, you'd assume that Montgomery would, would be able to do something about the the back six rather than the front four. I still, I watched this game, I knew the result obviously and uh, it made me feel better about next weekend that Hearts managed to find a victory away for home and Hibs drew at home at Dundee. However, I watched this game hoping I was going to get a bit more and Didn't Hearts lose to Dundee? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, was, I was away from home and after Europe, so it barely counts. Yeah, so watching the game, I was still a bit... You're right in what you're saying, that they definitely can be caught at, got at defensively. Hearts haven't really been scoring many goals this season, though, which is an issue. And while the Hearts' defence is, I think, maybe the best in the top flight this moment in time or at least it's very close to being let's have a look yeah it's actually the best in the top flight three goals conceded that's one fewer than Celtic I still uh, uh, the Hearts defence is a lot better than it was last season especially kind of the running under Robbie Nielsen and then when Stephen Naismith took over but I, I still think they are not as good as that record would suggest I have my doubts that Hearts will keep a clean sheet against Easter Road this weekend because you just look at that Hibs team and not only did they have a bit of intricate play amongst the four of them, because they're all fairly decent footballers. Even Vente is probably the worst of the lot, but he's not terrible. He's a goal scorer, but he can at least do a little bit of link-up. Adam Lafronda's great at that and can go out to both wings, which also means that when he does that, Ellie Johan can move inside or Martin Boyle can move inside. And they've also got the ability that just when things aren't working, give it to Boyle or Johan and ask them to run it someday. And then even if that's not working, they could bring on Christian Joy to just go long to him. So there's just so many attacking options. So I watched this thing hoping that Hibs were going to make me feel better about next weekend. I just ended up more nervous. But it's Hibs at, East, it's Hibs at Tidecastle, so they'll all just, probably just what typically happens throughout the years. They'll all just decide to have a terrible day where they do nothing. I don't think I've ever watched a team... And it's made me feel better about an upcoming result. It's either they're terrible, they're gonna, they're gonna. This will be the week. This is gonna be the week that they turn it on. Or oh shit, they're actually quite good. That guy's really good, and he's gonna cause us all sorts of problems. Just natural pessimism that it's never gonna work. Um, a word, a word for well for Ilya and for the worst dive of the season so far. That wasn't he wasn't booked for. Just oof, proper hands in the air, thrown to the ground, no contact, pull, tackle pulled out of. So while you're on that topic, I am pretty sure with the, um, the going back to the very first game we covered, Scott Wright's second yellow was uh, McGrath was late on. Um, Jensen. Uh, Jensen. I am pretty sure that the foot that he was clutching while he was rolling around was not the foot he was hit on. Just it was a yellow card. There was no doubt about that. But it was just funny. Um, but just when you just reminded <laughs> me of that. 
<laughs> uh, I don't know if it made the highlights, but the, my favourite moment from the Hibs game is when Lewis Miller kicked the ball off his own face and it went out for a goal kick. It got up way for the Dundee fans behind the goal. I, I recorded it on my phone, I could put it in the chat. I don't think he's uh, very good, actually. Like I know he was getting that. I know he was getting spoken up for the the goal he scored last weekend. Um, but I thought when he played against Kelly, he was he got kind of torn to bits in it. And I think he'll be one that Montgomery will look to upgrade quite quickly. I don't think he's a very good defender. Unfortunately, Hearts don't have anybody playing the left wing to run at him, so that's not going to really help matters next week either. Well, well, it's not all about Hearts, though, Craig. As much as for this week, it bloody is, Craig. Correct. <laughs> right thank you very much guys thank you Craig thank you Craig thank you Tom thanks very much and thank you to everybody for listening if you'd like to hear more for us then please head over to patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast where there's just hours and hours and years frankly of exclusive content for you there the cheapest tier is only £2 a month if you're unsure about paying for Patreon content, you've not heard it after all, you don't know what it's like. This is Open the Vault Month, where we are going to be putting out old Patreons on the main feed for free, so you can have a listen to them. If you like what you hear by the end of October, then you can subscribe and access all that beautiful content. If you're one of these weirdos, or young people, or that could be the same thing, who likes to watch podcasts, so you don't just listen to it, you don't just have it as a secondary medium while you're running, or cleaning or having a walk or doing whatever you actually like to sit and watch a podcast it makes no sense to me it makes no sense to me but i'm aware that people <laughs> like to do this so this show will be on youtube well all of our main shows barring any technological problem will be on youtube from now on so that is a terrace podcast and you can find that on uh, I, have to, I have to say, Craig, I didn't actually, I didn't actually know that. I, I knew, I knew, you were, I knew, you, I knew you were, I knew you were maybe clipping things out, and so I'm like, I've been on my best behaviour, but I'm like, I, I was like, uh, I didn't actually know I could be, I could be getting viewed at all times. Uh, I think I only, I only leaned over to take a drink a couple of times, but uh, nonetheless, do that. Don't do, don't yes, do. uh, just as well that. I wore a shirt, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, that's good as well, because uh, I mean, there was a medium once upon a time called television where people did sit down and watch people talking about things, so maybe that's kind of what's been brought back here. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's still a bit different, because this is more kind of a radio format. They've always had radio. Radio existed before television, Craig. I'm not, I'm not familiar with it. <laughs> I think that's everything worth plugging, isn't it? Right, that's us. Thank you very much for listening, and join us again later this week. Goodbye. Podcast Network.